We got Reveneration's in Sioux Falls. We got Pioneer Lake News. We got Mascot News. We got Staff Hirings. And we got a lot more on this episode of the Andy Bar Report Podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 162, game 162 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And what we have for you today is the finale of the offseason. We have actual baseball games to talk about next week. We got a preview for next week. But before we get to that, we got to get through this one last offseason show. And let me tell you, we actually have a lot of stuff packed into this one, which is uncharacteristic of the offseason. You know what? It's going out with a bang. But you know what? Uh, I, I do have to say that I'm I'm grateful that this is the last off-season show of uh, of the Indie Ball Report podcast. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm just ready to talk some rosters. I'm ready to ready to talk some baseball. That's because you know that's what the people are here to. So that's what the people are here to listen to. That's what we're here to talk about. Uh, but um, it, just one more off-season show to go, and you know this is it. Yeah, I mean it gets the people going. Uh, those actual baseball games and whatnot. Plus, it presents an opportunity to do a lot of actual interesting content things, not just the kind of template, boilerplate team reviews and player spotlights and transaction reviews, really the desperate clawing for off-season content away from the show, too. So it is going to be nice to actually have baseball to talk about in less than a week's time, in fact. So it'll line up pretty, pretty good, all things considered. But like you said, well, we got a little bit to get through here beforehand. So we're going to kick it off. Over in the American Association, over in Sioux Falls, and in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, we have major renovations, or as I like to call them, reveneration's at the birdcage. We're going to have a new artificial turf put in for the infield, foul ground, and in the bullpen. Uh, this is part of a larger uh, kind of refreshing or revitalization of the ballpark, to use a big word, uh, that includes... Uh, a new kids' playground that's going in. That's going to be about $27,000 uh, in cost. There's also going to be a new speed gun put in, bar upgrades, concession upgrades, new seating behind home plate, uh, all sorts of other uh, renovations to the ballpark to kind of bring it into the 21st century and try and really make it easier to recruit players and get people to the ballpark themselves. If you recall, last year they put in a roughly half a million dollar video board when everything's all said and done so they certainly are doing everything they can this is after true north bought the club uh if if the name true north sounds familiar to you it is likely because of their ownership of the winnipeg jets of the national hockey league so that same group owns them so there's clearly some money to be spent here and all in all you like to see a refreshing of a ballpark that has notably needed some work and that's no real uh no hiding from that fact. It's been widely known that it needed work for some time. Right. And I, we talked, I, it, it's hard to remember how, how long ago we talked about this new ownership group uh, with the suit, with the Sioux Falls Canaries. Uh, but we talked about, uh, this was one of the major things that they were going to have to deal with. They were going, and obviously the birdcage is its own, it's its own unique park, but there was, it's an old facility. There was a lot of things that needed to be renovated with it. Uh, and so this was this was going to be their their first major question, and it seems like this group has answered. Uh, they've put a lot of money into it, which is great to see. I mean, uh, you, if you've listened to this podcast for a while now, you know how uh, I'm a big proponent of artificial turf, really at all independent uh, in all independent leagues or as many in those stadiums or as many as possible, just so you can host other sports. There's other ways to make money. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense, and, and it's, the other interesting parts uh, are the, or basically the team, the, the president of the of the Canaries essentially admit, admitting, like, hey, uh, these we have had trouble recruiting players, uh, specifically infielders and pitchers, to uh, to play in Sioux Falls because the field was so bad, which would really, which would lead to errors or even injuries or. Uh, things like that. So these were the, all of these, uh, all of these renovations were short, were surely needed, uh, really for the players. And it's also a big win for the fans as well. It, it's getting a major, uh, major facelift 
uh, at the birdcage. It's really good to see. Uh, so that it's very, very exciting uh, for me. I think it's, uh, it, it, sh- and it should be very, very exciting for the fans as well. And the video board uh, should, should be great as well. And uh, it, it looks like the, the new ownership group is doing a great job in Sioux Falls. So hopefully the fans respond in a positive way because the work is finally being put in to the ballpark to really make it uh, a, make it a top of the line uh, professional baseball ballpark that we really haven't seen in Sioux Falls in quite some time. Exactly. When it comes to ballparks, I think we're both on the same page of optionality is extremely important. That turf field gives you that optionality to host lacrosse, to host soccer, to host football, to host even just more baseball in general, because it's even said in in the article in particular that it takes a real beating the, the grass field when you have colleges on there. If you have summer college in addition to the professional teams themselves, there's only so much baseball that can be played on turf, especially when you're going through South Dakota winters on top of that. You know, it, there's a limit to how much you can push natu- natural grass. Man, I'm having a hard time saying natural today. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just it's one of those issues. I'm trying to do too much, I guess. Just like a grass field, I'm breaking. So you want to have that artificial turf in there because you won't have to deal with a lot of these issues. Moreover, that kind of video board presents a lot of possibilities for in-game entertainment, even if it's something as simple as replays or just being able to throw up uh, more graphics or inter-inning uh, contests or games like the the old hide the baseball one with the hats and whatnot, things like that. Plus, you can play ads and whatnot there, so that gives you more opportunities for advertising revenue as well. The kind of kids' playground, I think that's one that we normally don't talk about a lot, but it is something that is appealing, especially if you have younger kids, like let's say seven and younger, that aren't necessarily baseball fans, but again, you know, we've said it before, that these teams exist not just for baseball fans and not just for the practice of getting players onto, you know, other clubs, onto affiliated rosters, but also for a night out for families. That's pretty much their main purpose as far as in the community goes. And if that's the case, then you're going to have a lot of younger families bringing kids out there. And let's be honest, five-year-olds typically don't sit through three hours of baseball uh, that often or that well. So when you have that playground, it kind of gives you an area to bring the kids over to. So that way the rest of the audience isn't really affected by, you know, a bored five-year-old, which can get rather annoying, of course. And also like the speed gun and things like that. That's, that's, those are nice upgrades, especially for scouting reasons. But like the bar upgrade, the new home plate seating, that appeals to everybody, you know, that appeals to adults that are just going for something as a night out. It gives you more options again and really that's why i think the real selling point at least from a a fan perspective and from a business perspective is just you have a lot more things to draw people in on and more importantly you have a lot more possibilities in order to kind of diversify your product from year to year so that way you can kind of keep that same feel of a canaries game you know what you're getting but at the same time have a bit of a different experience while still enjoying it, you know, be in the same vein, but have it be different each time you come out. Yeah, Nick, you're 100% right. I think, again, it's all about tailoring uh, to families because that's the market you're really trying to tap into as an independently baseball team. And when there's, it's just other things to keep fans who are not like diehard fans locked into the game to keep them entertained and those things on the big jumbotron, as well as uh, as well as that playground to keep the kids entertained. Because you're right, there's no kid like if you're expecting a kid to just sit uh, for for three hours and just watch a baseball game, maybe even if touch over three hours, if it ends up being one of those type of games, mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it's really tough. It's really tough to ask those families to pick to pick uh, in this case, of course, the Sioux Falls Canaries as a night out. Uh, so it's just it, it's really good for the fans. It gives them because and the birdcage, of course, needed a lot of upgrades. It's not realistic, probably, for them to build just build a complete new stadium. So this is this is the way for them to go and uh, to put a lot of money into these renovations. Renovations uh, keep the the old school feel of the birdcage that I know the fans love there as well. That it, it makes it really unique. So uh, 
keeping all that, but at the same time working on the stuff that needs work, like the fields and the jumbotron and putting in stuff, uh, more fan amenities without taking away the charm that, uh, that is the birdcage. I think it's very important and I'd like to see what it looks like when it's done, but at least on paper, uh, it looks like, uh, it looks like they hit the nail on the head. Absolutely there. And obviously too, there's a, an actual effect for players and whatnot, where now it's going to be a bit easier to bring guys in when you're saying, hey, look, we're going to have a field that you're not going to have to worry about. You're not going to be injured on. You're not going to get hit with an error on something that, you know, hits a hits a rock or hits a divot in the infield. It's just a lot easier of a sell. And so uh, it definitely seems like a, a huge, huge upgrade to be doing this. And also, it's nice to see ownership spending money. I know we touched on that in the beginning of the segment, but to see actual money being spent to revitalize a ballpark is always a good sight to see and it does show active ownership in a good way as opposed to a bad way and obviously we both know there's plenty of other ballparks that could use a refreshing and probably aren't going to get this treatment so when you see it you always got to celebrate it and point it out yeah absolutely i think that's it's really good to see when when those ownership groups are investing back into the into their ballpark and in showing the fans that they're serious. And in this case, a, a new ownership group, I think that's re- it's really important uh, to show the fans that they're here to stay and they're trying to make the Canaries the best experience it can possibly be. Absolutely. You know what else is important to the ballpark experience? What is that, Nick? Mascots. True. Every week we got to talk about mascots and that's because we have mascot news every week. And this week is coming from Charleston, West Virginia. And they have the name for their new mascot. Of course, it's going to be a canary. That kind of makes sense. So there is kind of a link between the two segments here. Uh, Only in this case, it's a canary that's in the mines. You know, basically the logo uh, of the team is going to be their mascot. And they needed to find a name for it. They held online contests to get it. And we were narrowed down to five choices. Those choices being Charlie, Colby, Flip, Diggy, and Dusty. Those were your five choices and we have a winner but before we announce the winner what would you have went with what, what which one of these five names do you uh have a preference towards um to be honest with you i think that it would have to be personally i think dusty would probably be my number one uh i think dig if they named it if they named their mascot diggy i think i would just shun them forever because that would be the most ridiculous like just horrible name ever I, flip I, I don't even know what flip has to do with anything colby obviously with with the coal mine and colby actually wouldn't have been a bad one either because charlie, there's a play on words there too yeah like uh and charlie i understand just because you know charleston yeah. uh but i got so i got that i think it's a little too obvious though uh so i think either dusty or colby uh would be my my pick and you know i I mean, either one would work for me, but I, I like the sound of Dusty. I think it makes sense just because it plays into that that coal mining kind of aspect of West Virginia that makes it uh, that makes it what it is. Then you will be glad to know that the winner of the mascot contest was in fact Dusty, so it will be known as Dusty the Canary going forward. So you will not have to shun the charleston dirty birds in fact Thank goodness. you'll be able to celebrate the fact that dusty is the mascot i'd agree with you that dusty and colby were probably the best too i didn't hate charlie either flip also just didn't make sense and diggy i could see why but if diggy diggy just gives me some real poochie the dog vibes from the simpsons you know it just is like this you're trying way too hard to make uh, diggy a diggy. thing it just it it doesn't feel right it feels way too like kind of late 90s early aughts feel to diggy so that that's got to go so the last two are out but oh. charlie is a bit on the nose plus it's like if we're going to go with charlie then we could have named the team the charlies and went with the thing that everybody liked uh, remember that so yep. so Absolutely. that could have been an option i probably would have decided with colby a little bit just because i i like the play on words they spelled colby c-o-a-l-b-y so you know you were coal into it obviously dirty birds reference to canary and coal mine and whatnot which Again, I, I'm still going to point out it's kind of weird you name your team after what's essentially uh, a living warning siren. Uh, it's kind of weird that like the whole purpose of your team name and 
and mascot or, or branding was something that's supposed to, it's something that's supposed to die so that way people don't actually die. Uh, that, that was always kind of a weird thing, but it, hey, it, it is what it is. So I would have probably went with Colby just because of the play on words, but Dusty is not bad either. No, I, th- I think, listen, given the, given the circumstance, and I, I do agree, like I remember both the, when this first dropped in the middle of the season, the two of us were fully against like the Dirty Bird name. Uh, and you're right, just because of the meaning behind it, I thought Charleston Charlie's would have been just a great name. It was, seemed like a slam dunk, seemed like the people wanted it. Uh, but it ended up not happening. But given the circumstances, uh, I think Dusty is a good mascot. I think just because it, it makes sense given uh, the team name and uh, the reasoning for the team name. So I, I think it's cool. I think it's uh, I, I think it's a good a good fit for the team. Uh, so I, I agree. I would, Colby would have been Colby would have been uh, cool as well, just because of that play on words. But you know, D- Dusty works too. I think it's a good name. Absolutely. And I mean, as we discussed last week, mascots are important, but they're not quite as important as the placeholder on a football team. So uh, we, very do, true. we do have uh, someone that is now in line and we have a name for uh, probably the least important part of the football team, but still an important part of the team nonetheless. Uh, that said, we do shift gears once more to the Pioneer League because we have news out of the Pioneer League and we also have a little bit of an addition onto last week's, uh, I guess not quite headlining story, but our, our B story from last week, which was the Pioneer League draft. And so we'll wrap up uh, that little nugget before we move on to the, to the uh, more uh, recent news from the Pioneer League. So uh, after we put the show out, and at the start of the week, around Monday or so, we had a press release come out with the uh, names of all the draft selections. So I'm going to run through the list here because now we have a full list, all uh, 23 picks in the Pioneer League draft. I'm just going to list off the team and the name and uh, the position, and uh, then we're going to go on from there. So that way I can give you a full list of it. Just want to go back and clean up that from last week because I know we left some uh, some picks unknown because, well, I couldn't really make them out on the Facebook video. So cleaning that up, then we'll move on. First overall pick went to the Glaciers, or went to Glacier. Uh, Reed Johnson, right-handed, or right-handed pitcher, uh, first overall pick there. Pick number two to Northern Colorado, Chase Wilkerson, left-handed pitcher. Rocky Mountain had Caleb Marquez, he's a catcher. Uh, Great Falls, Victor Versenka, uh, Verseca, <clears throat> left-handed pitcher. Billings was uh, Kenneth Stewart, right-handed pitcher. Jeffrey Rotes, right-handed pitcher, went sixth to Boise, seventh Grand Junction. Tyler Bonsky, right-handed pitcher. Uh, Ogden, early contender for name of the draft, took Fox Simones, uh, shortstop. Idaho Falls took Hunter Hudson. Good alliteration on that name, though, third baseman. Uh, 10th, Missoula took Reese D, right-handed pitcher. Missoula also had the 11th pick, so it looked like it was a snake draft. Uh, Sam Brace, a left-handed pitcher. Idaho Falls, Sam Troyer, uh, shortstop. Ogden took Dane Tofland, a third baseman. Grand Junction, Teddy Natter Jr., left-handed pitcher. Jesse Fuentes Jr., uh, second baseman, goes to Boise. Billings takes Robert Malone, uh, outfielder. Another contender for name of the draft from Great Falls. They selected with the 17th overall pick, Montana Quigley, right-handed pitcher. Uh, Rocky Mountain was picking at 18. They took Dominique Hernandez. He's an outfielder. Uh, 19th, my personal pick for name of the draft, uh, from Northern Colorado selected Yero Diaz, outfielder. Glacier then had the next four picks, or the final four picks, probably because they're an expansion team to help them grow out their roster. They took uh, two right-handed pitchers in Nathan Gilman and Matt Jeffreyon. Uh, then the final two picks was outfielder Jake Gitter and catcher Victor Cerny. So those are all 24 picks in the Pioneer League draft. Uh, we will go into more depth on those players individually when we do our Pioneer League preview in probably about a month or so's time. So uh, that's what we have for you to clean up last week's Pioneer League draft results. Do we have anything to add on the Pioneer League draft results before we move on to the 
other news from the Pioneer League this week. Well, the only thing I want to add to that is that, boy, it sure seems like what a what a coincidence that is, Nick. When we talk about how we couldn't find uh, any, we couldn't find the full draft list, uh, and then all of a sudden, poof, there comes the uh, all the the full draft in a press release. It about is, it. it's very helpful. You know, I I don't know how it happened, but I'm grateful it did happen. I will say that much. And do we have a contender on your side for? Uh, Name of the draft. Ooh. Because there's some strong contenders. A couple of, I'd say, 75 or, dare I say, 80-grade names. Yeah. Um, hmm. Good question. I'm I'm going to say Montana. I think Montana Quigley is my favorite. And the reason I say that is because Montana Quigley was drafted by Great Falls. That's a good point. Isn't Great Falls in Idaho? Oh, damn it, is it? I'm pretty sure. No, no, there's a name there's a name called Idaho Falls. Yeah, but I think there's two falls in Idaho. It's great is Great Falls really in Hold on. I'm looking this up, all right? No, Great Falls is in Montana. Is it? We're doing geography. We're doing geography lessons on this show now. Oh, lord. See, this is this is Great Falls. How much, this is how much we know. Oh, and Great Falls. Great Falls, Great Falls Voyager. Yeah, they're in Montana. Okay, so then, I, okay, so I was wrong on that. It's, so it's rare I, I have to happens, say, but. so I'm I'm go I'm full on the Montana Montana Quigley train just because he was drafted by a team in Montana. That's pretty sick. Cause it's like you never see that in New Jersey. There, there's no one with the first name Jersey. You know, I you never know. We can have a Johnny Turbo type situation where someone changes their name. That is true. You could. I, in which I, I, I will say on the Johnny Turbo. That, I promise you when that news came down, I thought it was a prank for about three weeks. <laughs> you didn't think Darby Myers would really become a Johnny Turbo? No, because it was just such a like a a wild switch of a name and like i'm like all right i think that uh like the pr people at the ducks are just in on some like really funny thing it's like ah how, how funny would it be if we could get uh, people to start calling him johnny turbo and then all of a sudden uh like i listened into like one of the broadcasts and like they were and uh i think i think it was mike polak was like calling him johnny turbo like it was his normal name like no like snickers no uh no nothing no no nothing i'm like huh that's weird i I still thought that i still thought this was a joke uh and then i realized it was not a joke so as well as great as a name that see because i've been tricked before so i'm skeptical of things uh the old fool me once shame on you that's right. And so I, I will say it took me about three weeks to actually give in that Johnny Turbo was his actual name. I will I'll agree with you. When I first saw it, I was like, what the hell is this? This can't be real. And then like when it actually became real, I was like, oh, well, that's a great name. Because <laughs> it just, it, it's like, he, I want to see him make the major leagues for that alone. Like, because just imagine that on like a Mets broadcast. Having Gary Keith and Ron have to explain that Johnny Turbo was once Darby Myers, and that whole yeah. ensuing uh, conversation that alone makes me want him in the majors for that. But uh, agreed. Anywho, we do have more Pioneer League news that we have to talk about here, and that's because what would the off season be? And we just got this one in under the wire without talk of a radio deal. It's a throwback to the very start of this show talking about radio deals in the offseason. And while we couldn't let it die here, and luckily the Billings Mustangs came through in the clutch on the eve. Or, I mean, they got like a month before they throw out the first pitch. But we'll call it the eve of their 69th season. They announced that they will be broadcasting all 96 home games on ESPN 910 AM and 105.5 FM. So you will have all your Billings Mustangs games on the only 24-7 sports radio station in the greater Billings area. Uh, Brendan Mentz will handle the play-by-play. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we got here. We had. Hold on. Hold yeah. on. So 
I I have to say your uh, <laughs> your introduction of the only twenty four seven sports radio station in the greater Billings area just it just sounds so funny to me. Because th- like, why do you not believe that Billings is a thriving metropolis? No, so because the thing is, is I I just like what are you competing with? <laughs> like what else is what else airs in? Like I guess like there's like college football because like I think I think Montana State if I'm not if I'm pretty sure they were in like the FCS like say either semifinal or national championship or something like that. Um, so I guess like football is like a big thing, but like I guess what else do they broadcast in the summer? Um, they maybe carry Mariner games. Maybe is Montana close to Washington? Uh, depending on where Billings is, I mean, it could be. You only have to go through that little piece of uh, Idaho to get to get to Washington. I mean, granted, Seattle's on the far side of, of Washington State, uh, but I imagine. Well, I mean, like FM will reach for forever in a day. That, that's not an issue. I mean, like hell, you can get New York stations down in DC with an FM uh, so. signal. Uh, now, granted, it'll be a garbage signal because that distance is the only thing that FM does worth a damn. Uh, but or AM, my mistake. AM. I'm, I got them confused. I was I was about to say actually. Yeah, I was like, I caught myself halfway through. I was like, oh shit! The one thing I retained from all my media classes, I I just mixed them up. Shit! <laughs> it's like getting longitude and latitude confused. It's like I got it right, but I got the name wrong, which means I pretty much got it all wrong. But but yeah, no, FM is the good one. FM does everything but distance. Because you only get like a couple hundred miles on that. But, and I mean, depending on the terrain, it also kind of gets all screwy. But AM, AM will run for forever. AM, you could get like New York and pretty much anywhere. Like you got like a thousand mile radius or something nuts. Man, more like 500 miles where you could get that stuff. It just comes in like such trash that you can't even really listen to it. And you're working the, like the tuner dial as though you're trying to decipher enemy con- uh, communications. So that's the problem with uh, AM. But even still, I imagine you get some content, but yeah, it's not exactly a, a, a hotbed of sport, Billings, Montana. Yeah, you, you would have to think that it's one of the only options, but hey, uh, and it, the one part about this, like on a serious note, yeah. that, that is good is that, uh, that ESPN Billings whoever is running ESPN Billings uh, is was still sticking with them even uh, is still sticking with the team even though they're not affiliated with a major league team so uh, I think I think that's the good thing to see that even though they're an independent ball now uh, or in partner league baseball they're still sticking with them they're still broadcasting their games that's the important thing to uh, to see and uh, keep that connection with the community. They're not get, it's good to see they're not getting caught up in like who's affiliated, who's not, stuff like that. So that's the part, I got a serious note, that, that's good to see. Absolutely. They are sticking with them and they are still supporting the local team. And uh, that is important. I agree 100% with you, Will, there. But I did have to look up Billings, Montana, because, you know, I, I was curious. How many people do you think live in Billings? I mean, I don't know, like, I'm going to guess like 300,000. Um, not quite. Not, not quite. Not quite. Um, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. There are, well, there's a lot more people in, in Somerset County than there is uh, in Billings. Um, Billings has a population of just under 110,000. So that's like the, the, uh, so that's like the population of my town in Edison. Essentially. Yes. Huh. Uh, for perspective here, because now I, I'm curious on this, because I always like looking up these little Pioneer League towns, and I call them little towns, even though there are probably like major cities for them, uh, and comparing them. It's about three times the size, well, three and a half times the size of Princeton, New Jersey. For, oh, okay. for New Jersey folk of reference, yes. Uh, it's also currently 24 degrees Fahrenheit there with uh, 8 mile per hour southeasternly wind. And <laughs> it was founded in 1882. Wow, that's really not that old. And uh, comparatively to where I'm used to. And 
it is nicknamed the Magic City. Really? Yes. What magic goes on in Billings, Montana? The magic of Montana, the magic of Great Sky Country, and it is currently uh, 10,000 people smaller than Bozeman, Montana. There's actually some deep, like I've heard of some of these towns like Billings, Missoula, Bozeman, Helena, which I think is the capital, uh, Kalispell, Butte, uh, Whitefish, Great Falls. Like they, they got them all. They, they got some, they got some major cities, I guess. You name it, they got it. Yeah. So now that we've thoroughly insulted the people of Montana, I suppose we should probably move on to other things here. Um, but luckily I don't think the people of Montana took kindly to Easterners to begin with. So, I don't think we've done any more damage than already existed. So that's good news. Yeah, exactly. So that, and also who knows, maybe they don't have internet out there. So if they, if they do, then they'll hear it. And if they don't, then no harm, no foul. So regardless, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, last week I went in, last week I went on the liberation league. So every week someone's got to get trashed on, even if they don't deserve it. Uh, And I'm sure it'll come back to bite me in the ass one day, but that's the way life goes. Regardless, staff hirings. We have some new staff hirings. We'll start and end in the Frontier League. But the Boomers are up first, the Schomburg Boomers that are in Illinois. Notably, not Pioneer League territory. And they have hired Tony Medina to be their hitting coach. Uh, he's really been done a lot of player development work in MILB, uh, various organizations. Spent a couple years in Lexington, actually, before they became unaffiliated. Uh, so... He has uh, about four years of development experience, really just coached in kind of like the high school level before. So it'll be interesting to see how he makes the adjustment to professional uh, hitting coaching, some more or less assistant coaching. But he has worked with professionals before in the player development sphere. So it is kind of interesting. It seems like a good get your feet wet kind of moment. Uh, definitely a guy that knows what goes on in affiliated organizations and a guy that clearly has an approach that works. Uh, so I am curious to see what Tony Medina does as a hitting coach for Schaumburg. Yeah, absolutely. He brings a, a lot of the, a lot of experience, especially uh, working with, uh, in particular, like working with the Astros as a uh, player development assistant in 2017, because, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff you could learn from the Houston Astros in that 2017 season. Am I right? I heard three bangs curveball. What if, what if that's what he brings? Should the Schomburg, should the Schomburg Boomers uh, be investigated for sign stealing? I don't know, uh, but before we even start, if you listen carefully, I can hear two bangs, fastball. Ooh, we're gonna so have we'll get, Schomburg. We got our eye on you. You are not fooling us. We're gonna have to get the radio broadcasts for each Schomburg game and listen very carefully to make sure there's no trash can hitting. Can't you know have unfair advantages in this league. You know who we, you know who I think we can call to make sure that uh, we can pick up those those trash can bangs. Ghostbusters. No, <laughs> the uh, the the only twenty four hour sports network in the Greater Billings area. <laughs> <laughs> the people of Montana aren't going to like us, but that was a good one. <laughs> oh God. You know, there's at least one person that's listening to this right now that has began to talk merciless shit about the state of New Jersey. But at the same time, I'm not living in Montana, so I still consider myself better off. We're not we're not even in the same league anymore. Um, so Billings yeah, Tony Medina, Tony Medina worked with the Astros, worked with the Lexington Legends when they were affiliated yeah, uh, with the Royals, and yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I mean, I mean, the Lexington Legends—they they won a, They won a championship with Medina on the staff as well. So uh, certainly, a guy who's had a lot of success. Um, and let's just hope he plays the game the right way. Yep. Hopefully, I, I imagine he'll do well. Uh, obviously, the Boomers had hitting troubles last year. On a serious note, uh, they weren't exactly one of the better hitting teams. They made some moves. Braxton Davidson being the most notable of the kind of deadline moves. And it was nice to see them, you know, treat the Frontier League like it is which is a professional league. They made some deals, got better at the deadline, that ultimately definitely helped them win a Frontier League championship. So hopefully they won't need to make deals like that and they'll have good hitting from the get-go. Actually, I think they just brought Davidson back yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. So they look pretty good. They look set to be be contending, and hopefully Medina helps with that. Uh, The other hiring we have is a manager, 
and it is of the frontier, or I suppose empire state greats, as they prefer to be called, and that is Gil Rondon. Uh, he had essentially a cup of coffee in the major leagues, I believe in 76 and in 80, uh, only about 60 or so innings pitched there. Across a couple of teams, really kind of a triple-A caliber pitcher, so he's not, he wasn't a bad pitcher by any stretch in his day. And he, he coached the Puerto Rican team in the 2009 World Baseball Classic, pitching coach in, uh, Leon of the Mexican League in 2018. So he's a guy that has some coaching experience. He has coached professionals before. Obviously, it doesn't look like uh, there's too much or that it's rather uh, far and few between. Could be one way of describing it, at least from uh, how the Grays worded it on their release. So with that, I don't quite know what to expect out of Gil Rondon, but he does seem to be qualified enough to be able to guide the Frontier League or Empire State Grays. I'm going to make that mistake all year uh, for the 2022 season. Yeah, he certainly seems experienced, uh, right? He's been around the game a long, long time, uh, especially, you know, working with Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. It's funny. It does seem like I mean, we're talking about a lot of his baseball uh, baseball experience. So much of it is is really scattered. Uh, however, uh, working as a pitching coach in the Mexican League, a very good Mexican league, uh, I think that you work in a league that you see a lot of the best independent league guys in the United States go to go to either in the middle of the season or at the beginning of the season, perhaps. Uh, so certainly a guy who knows talent. And uh, listen, it's going to be, of course, an uphill battle. For uh for the Grays all season for the Empire State Grays just because of of the travel and uh, stuff like that so they're gonna need a guy who uh who is able to weather that storm and uh, playing on the road all the time so Gil Rondon you you would hope is the guy it's hard to know what uh what really to expect from him but you know you're gonna he has a very very difficult job ahead of him absolutely it's it's uh. I think they're in the same boat as, as the Apollos were last year, which is we're not really expecting you guys to win, but if you do, it's a happy surprise. But it's both difficult in the sense of you're not exactly working on the same field as the rest of the teams in the league. You have certain disadvantages there, but you also have the expect, expectation advantage, which is they're very low. There's no real pressure to perform there in the same way that other teams may have. And obviously, on this particular level, it's not as... Uh, as uh i guess present as it is on say a college level or on a uh, major league level but it's still there you know there's certain teams that when you look down it you can say oh well this team's really heavily stacked they're expected to be in playoffs these teams are expected to contend with the grays they're not really expected to do any of that and maybe who knows that could work to their advantage maybe they can make things interesting i mean hey we saw the apollo's Kind of, I don't want to quite say get hot, but they certainly looked a lot better towards the end of the season uh, last year. And I mean, hey, look at the spoiler they played. I mean, that certainly is a group that played like they cared, especially that last series against Lincoln. And they've had some close games too. Let's not forget that. They, they had a slew of one and two run games or games that were very close, nearly tied going into the last, like into the seventh or eighth inning. So who knows? Maybe the Grays could pull something out and surprise us here, even though they're not really uh, expected to do so. Yeah, the record's not going to be good, but at the end of the day, these are these are players who are looking uh, to earn spots on Frontier League rosters full time. So they're certainly going to be playing hard, no matter what the score is, no matter what their record is. Uh, they're certainly going to be playing hard as they should because they're trying to advance their career and they're trying to get on. Uh, better independent league teams. Uh, and, you know, we've seen guys go from the Frontier Grays all the way to the MLB. Nick Anderson, of course, uh, a great example mm-hmm. of that as well. Uh, pitcher currently on the shelf with the Tampa Bay Rays at the moment. But uh, we know he, what he can be when he's on. So uh, we'll, we'll see what kind of talent that uh, these guys can bring in and how Gil Rondon can manage them. Absolutely. And so with that, we're going to go back out west because we haven't done enough damage out there yet to talk about the Maverick League because they have a bit of a TV deal, which is a little bit surprising to me. Uh, it's with Comfy TV. Uh, they're going to air games every weekend 
Uh, apparently, Comfy TV runs in a lot of major markets. I believe they listed New York and LA uh, as well there. I, I personally have not heard of them, uh, possibly to my own folly, but uh, they are going to have uh, national coverage in that sense. There's cord cutter options available as well. Uh, there's uh, games that are going to be broadcast on other platforms too, but there, there does exist uh, some TV coverage now for the Maverick League. For the summer of 2022, we talked uh, to uh, the head of the Maverick League last January, I believe, in 2021 is when we talked to them. So if you want to learn more about the league, you go back and listen to that. I'm sure there's still some very relevant uh, information there. We didn't really cover them all that much, but uh, that was because we were busy covering a lot of other more established leagues here. But it was a solid little league. Uh, I believe a manager from there went on to a major league organization as well. Uh, there is some interest in that league too, and I'm sure it is popular locally as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that, I mean, it's awesome that they were able to pull off this uh, this TV deal. That's great for them. And uh, I can't say I've heard of Comfy TV and iHolyfield. Is that like Andor Holyfield? I don't know, something like that. I, I mean, it's really good for them that they're able to get their games like on TV. It's something that you really don't see at all in independent league baseball, uh, like as far as getting games legitimately like, on TV. Of course, there's broadcasts and, and like uh, streaming services and stuff like that. But uh, you certainly don't see any any independent leagues beginning uh, getting their games on TV, and so that's really impressive. And that's a, it's a big step for for the Maverick League for sure. That's a that's a that's a really big deal for them. Absolutely. I mean, even if it's only a, one of these kind of little minor stations, the the ones that kind of get tossed in when you get the sports package type of deal, it still is nice to have, you know, actual TV coverage and who knows who's going to find it flipping through. Obviously, this isn't exactly kind of a more locally geared thing, although I suppose it could very well help them out in the greater Salem area. But it is it is something that is nice and something that is uh, definitely a welcome change for them. So, uh, hopefully it helps them out. Hopefully they do well, uh, and maybe they can hit the mainstream. They are kind of the Western version of the USPBL, uh, so who knows what could come of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. And uh, again, it's really really good news for them. That's kind of a trademark deal. Is something we really haven't seen in independent league baseball. So uh, certainly not a league we've talked about a whole lot, but good for them. Yep, absolutely. So. With that, we go to our final story of the week. I told you we had a lot of news in here. And that is coming from Lowell, Massachusetts. As you will probably recall, we talked about Lowell an awful lot during the whole uh, kind of minor league baseball shakeup. And we said this could be a market that goes back to affiliated ball. This could be a market that could go to the Atlantic League. Hell, it could even go to the Frontier League, although that's kind of doubtful. And with that, we had some movement. There was talks to renovate the ballpark there, which I will have you know. I actually decided to do the bare minimum of my journalistic duty, which is learn how to pronounce the ballpark correctly by going to YouTube and typing it in, so that way I can listen to how it's pronounced. And so, apparently, it is pronounced Lalasher Park. Okay, Lalasher. So, much different from how I thought it was going to be pronounced. So, we we wrote it down phonetically. I just wanted to point that out. I wanted to highlight it, that I wasn't going to mispronounce this one, because... I, for whatever reason, I said, you know, we're going to do it right this time. Uh, that's probably going to be the only time I do that, but hey, it's still there. So, Lalasher Park was supposed to get renovations. Uh, it was going to cost roughly $10 million. And the money was going to come from the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, this is kind of a COVID relief plan that was passed. Now, there's a couple of issues with that. The first issue is that money is not really supposed to go to ballparks. In fact, in the actual bill, and I guess technically law now because it passed, it is explicitly listed that sports arenas are discouraged from getting the money. And it literally cites surveys in the in-page citations that this money would be better served going elsewhere because there's no correlation between sporting arenas and ballparks and things of that sort and increased economic prosperity in the area. And the purpose of that a, uh, ARP money is how it's going to be called. American Rescue Plan, take the first letters, that's the initials of it all. Uh, the ARP money was supposed to go to economic revitalization or to kind of 
revitalize the area to get it back to pre-COVID levels and uh, revenerating a privately owned sports arena is not exactly a good use of the money when it could go towards other things including uh, helping small businesses and such uh, you see something similar happening over with the Hudson Valley Renegades Dutchess County was going to use money for them and then decided not to after public outcry for it so that's the first issue they didn't really they weren't supposed to use that 10 million dollars towards that the second issue which is more or less the major one here is the new quoted price is no longer 10 million it's four times higher at 40 million dollars which is a much much different uh uh, set up here because at 40 million you could practically build a brand new ballpark and you'd essentially be doing that uh, i imagine at 40 million to get it back and this is to get it up to milb standards i don't think i mentioned that yet uh, so that's a failing on my part there but the 40 million is going to try to get it up to the new affiliated standard so that way in theory the red sox can move an affiliate back to lowell and then they could join one of the closer leagues at 40 million, I gotta imagine this is just like a total gut job where you just tear it all out and rebuild it and essentially just keep the bones of it. It, it gotta be something like that because, I mean, that's an awful lot of money. So, Lowell officials don't really like that price tag. Understandably so, using 40 million dollars in public funding, uh, for this would be an awful lot of money to burn on that. The Red Sox are interested in a team in Lowell. They just don't want to pay any money towards this because why would they want to? Mm -hmm. uh, they already have affiliates. They're not really pressed against the gun. It's just something that'd be nicer to have it closer to home. Uh, so that's kind of where we sit. I imagine if we don't really see any more movement on money, aka one side caving or an agreement being reached, then we're going to either wind up with a future college league team. I believe that's the same league that has the New Britain in it and that would be led by yep we know the feelings on that uh and that would be led by drew weber the former lowell spinners owner the other option that present presents itself which is the reason why we were talking about this is the atlantic league that would almost certainly love to be in lowell because lowell is the definition of an atlantic league market and would be perfect and would actually kind of be a throwback to the original markets the atlantic league coveted so that's an awful lot of information and in case you tuned out halfway through that which i wouldn't blame you long and short is lowell was going to use money earmarked for something else for revenerating the ballpark then the number went higher they got they got cold feet on the new number because it's four times higher than the original number and they need to find more money and the red sox don't want to pay even though they want the benefits so now they are looking elsewhere if they really want a ballpark or they're going to be waiting a long time to get affiliated baseball back. That's all we got. I'm going to let Will talk while I desperately search for water. Yeah, so uh, to give Nick a little bit of a break here, I think that uh, it, Rick White, has, this has to be music to Rick White's ears. Uh, let me just say that right off the bat. Uh, I mean, Rick White should be all Rick, Rick white should be all over this because lol is a uh is a great market it is the perfect uh it is the perfect market literally uh mm -hmm. for for a team to for a team to move into um and overall i think that it makes sense that the lol uh that the lol officials don't uh they don't want to put in all of this money in public funding to build a stadium that is to, or to put in, in like insane renovations into a, uh, you know, into a stadium that, yeah, it's nice for them to have for sure, but uh, there's other options out there. And I think that's what they, what they're, what they're seeing. Um, and of course, having a Red Sox, you would assume a high A affiliate there. Like, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, however, you know, there's other ways that they can spend that money. I think uh, going to the Atlantic League would be awesome uh, for them. I think that it, it's really, uh, it would be a really great market for the Atlantic League to move into. And you're right when you say, Nick, that it's uh, it could be a possible uh, allude, allusion to the uh, early Atlantic League days up in up in Massachusetts and in, in New England. So that would be really cool if the Atlantic League could pull this off. This is the ballpark is perfect for the Atlantic League. The market's perfect for the Atlantic League. This should be something that, that Rick White is really uh, should be all over looking into. They still need to add a team. Uh, of course, they a 10 team league at the moment. 
uh, uh, Hagerstown coming in next year. Who else? Mm-hmm. We don't know. So uh, that's going to be it's going to be something to watch because this could be a major market uh, in the Atlantic League, and of course, uh, putting in putting in a market in Hagerstown, Maryland, more. I guess given where the other teams have been put, uh, it's more more right in the middle. And uh, adding another team in the north, uh, especially with currently Long Island and Staten Island being the only two real northern teams at the moment, uh, it would it would be a really good idea for the Atlantic League to try and pursue this. Uh, and I really hope they do uh, because you know I the Red Sox saying you have to do like all this this and this that's essentially what teams are. MLB teams have been doing and the MLB themselves have been doing to these minor league teams saying that you have to, if you want to stay affiliated, you have to make all, you have to use all this money that you don't have. And if your town is going to give you the money to do it, go ahead. But I, cause obviously no minor league owner and minor league market is going to pay $40 million. No one has $40 million. It's a tough situation for, for the spinners. However, I, I really hope they don't go college league because I think a uh, I really do think that a move into the Atlantic League would be awesome for the league. It'd be great for Lowell, and I really hope it happens. Agree on pretty much everything you said. The only caveat I will add is when Hagerstown comes in, I believe you'd still be at ten because it would replace uh, Kentucky Wild Health. That would be, or I think it's just Wild Health Genomes is how the teams officially. They would be out. Hagerstown would go in. So if you bring in Lowell, you need to bring in one other. But oh, true, true, e- yeah. even with that, though, I can't imagine it's that hard to find one other market. Plus, there's teams that always are interested in leapfrogging elsewhere. And I have to imagine then in a five team, you would have a northern division, if you were to add Lowell, of Lowell, Stand Island, the two Pennsylvania teams, and then you need one other one to technically make north. I really don't think they want to break up Hagerstown and Southern Maryland. So that would create a bit of an issue there. But if the plan is to get to 12, you could do three divisions of four. Then you have yeah. your three division winners. And then even if you want, yeah, you go three division winners and then one wild card. And then boom, you're all set and good to go. And then whoever's, you know, the top division winner plays the wild card team, the two and the three. And then you, you go off of that. So it's not too, too hard. You can make that work fairly straightforward and easy. Uh, or you could just say screw it and have uneven divisions. I mean, that's not unprecedented in baseball either. So that's an option as well. Uh, but regardless, there uh, Lowell is an Atlantic League market. It feels like an Atlantic League market for all the shit we just gave Billings, which was in good nature, of course. Uh Lowell only has like another 2,000 people in it. It's at 111,000 because I had to look it up just to see where it is. And it's about a 14 and a half mile wide uh, city, but it is also, it's just kind of in a nice footprint. It's in a solid area. It's in a baseball safe area as it is. And by and large, it just, I'm always weary of college teams because you're, it's not exactly the same. Yes, it's cheaper. And that is a selling point on it. But if you're going to the Futures College League, you're not really getting a good quality of play. I can't imagine you're running a great operation because your margins aren't going to be as, uh, as, I don't want to say they're not going to be as good because if you're not paying players, that takes off a major expense. But you're also not having as much money come in because you're not using professional talent. You're not having a real big name draw. It's not even like the Cape Cod League where it's well known. It's established you have top tier prospects. And while yes, I'm sure the locals don't really, you know, have the, the, uh, baseball America top 100 in hand, you still do have people that come up and come through just to watch the prospects and go, okay, well, this kid, he's going to be, uh, you know, a top draft pick or he's going to be a star in major league baseball one day or he's going to be a solid player. So you don't have that draw with the futures league and it just seems like it would be a real waste of it. Of course, there's always the possibility that the funding comes through. I'd assume the city owns the ballpark. I don't know that for certain. I would have to look that up. Maybe we've mentioned this in the past, and I'm just not remembering it because it's been several months at least since we mentioned this. But even still, even if they do own it, 40 million is an awful lot to put into a ballpark. Uh, especially like when you look at 
some more modern ballparks. Yes, they're expensive, but this is practically speaking on the top end of ballparks, the really nice upper echelon ballparks. It's like a third of the way to building a brand new one. And at this point, if you're going to put 40 in to renovate an older building, you might as well just say, hey, why don't we just build a brand new one and then make sure we own it? And assuming that this ballpark is publicly owned, again, I just don't love putting that much money into a ballpark. It just, it doesn't sit right with me. And as much as I love ballparks, I love ballpark architecture. I want more teams. And I understand that what I'm about to say is counterintuitive to that. Man, I got to follow the, the studies that always point out the same thing, which is arenas don't really do much to move the needle economically. And if every study says this, then I'm inclined to believe it. And so from a public well-being perspective, I have to imagine $40 million could be better spent elsewhere than a ballpark. And if it's privately owned, then the only way public money should go to it is if the town or city is going to actually own part of it or is going to be making that money back. If you were giving them $40 million as like a no-interest loan and it was going to be paid back, or if, let's say, you were to get like 20% of the parking and like 10 cents of every dollar in sales for tickets and other things, then fine. You know, it's a deal and it's a business transaction. At that point, the city's essentially acting as a bank. So I'd be fine with that. But if it's just like, here's $40 million, Go renovate your stadium. We expect nothing in return. And hopefully you drive more economic uh, prosperity to the area. I'm not exactly down for that at all. To be honest with you, to, to make things simpler, I just think there's no way that anything will happen on the Red Sox front of things if the Red Sox don't pitch in. It's that simple. If the Red Sox don't pitch in, this isn't getting done. If the Red Sox do pitch in or whatever cost that happens, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. Then maybe that opens the door. But if the Red Sox are really just not even considering putting in money into this ballpark, it, yeah. there's no way it's going to happen. So I just I can't see it happening. Um, and, you know, I, I, I understand the allure for an ownership perspective of a futures league market. It's just it would be really disappointing, I think, for the people of Lowell to not have an Atlantic League market because that's the high quality of play that they're used to. And that's really just what I'm hoping for. And it would be just awesome for the league. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it is extremely disappointing to go from professional baseball to, you know, college ball, which is not to, the, to deride college ball, but it is a drop-off, especially going from, you know, New York Penn League to future college league. That, that is a drop-off. And I think going from, say, New York Penn League to the Atlantic League. Now, that's a major jump up. That That's going from low A ball to essentially yeah. double A, even on a really strong Atlantic League team, a lower level triple A club. So, you know, to have right. the kind of jump, it's going to be like Lexington, where they went from A ball to where they're at now. And it is a draw. And I think that, again, Lexington can be your model. It can be your template. And they've shown it can work if you're willing to invest in the team and in the area. And just one last point to kind of close out the argument I was making a second ago about how much it w would cost. I think we can all agree that Dunkin' Donuts Park in Hartford is one of the really nicer minor league ballparks. It is by far the nicest in the oh, AA yeah. level. It is, it is just fantastic. That broke ground in February of 2015. It opened in April of 2017. So that's a pretty good indicator. I think, of course, there's five years, um, from now, actually it was almost five years to the day, uh, about a week or so ago was when it broke it opened. But regardless, the construction cost on that ballpark, which is only a five-year-old ballpark, was $56 million. So even if you want to account for inflation, difficulty getting materials and everything, and on another, say, $10 million, $15 million. So let's call it $70 million if you want to build something similar to that in Lowell. I have a very hard time buying that if you already have essentially 60% that has to go into fixing the current ballpark, that you're not just going to say, well, screw it, let's just build something there. And it doesn't even have to be like Harford. You mean to tell me you couldn't just say, okay, if we're at 40, why don't we just go 50 or 55 and build something really nice that's brand new and we're not going to have to worry about this. And we could say, we're not even going to go for a single A, we're going to shoot for double or maybe even triple A level ballpark. 
I'm not sure if there's an opening for that right now, but if there's a brand new ballpark, let's say opens in, in 2024 or 2025, that's like Harford light quality. You mean to tell me that someone's not going to be willing to jump for an affiliation for that? I mean, Major League Baseball oh, has yeah. played pretty hard and fast with the rules as of the last little bit here. And when it's these player development contracts, I have to imagine, because let's be real, if they had the teams over a barrel, that Major League Baseball wrote in out clauses for themselves. I'd have to yeah. read it to actually know if that's the case, but I have to imagine that uh, there are ways out of that contract. Absolutely. And I'm sure that if Lowe were actually to build like that new, uh, like some sort of new ballpark, they would be affiliate. They're going to be affiliated with the Red Sox. Oh, right? yeah. and, it wouldn't be. So, yeah. I mean, they so have, that, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I'm thinking as far as that. But I really hope it happens to bring a lull to the Atlantic League because I just don't see a new ballpark being built. And if the Red Sox aren't going to throw in money, I think the Atlantic League has to be on the prowl and looking to jump into this right away. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. And on that note, we have concluded the final off-season show for the 2021-2022 off-season. We won't have to do another one of these off-season shows for probably six to maybe even seven months. Isn't that a lovely thought? Oh, it's terrific. I mean, I, I'm so excited for that. Uh, it's been, you know, that, that's it's what the off-season is, but I'm glad that this has finally concluded the off-season. Absolutely. And so now, next week, you have to look forward to a brand new Atlantic League preview. We're going to go through all the teams in the Atlantic League. We're going to recap last season. We're going to give you a preview of this upcoming season. We're going to go through each of the teams. We're going to go through the rule changes. We're going to go through the new looks. And we're going to give predictions. You know how we do things around here for our previews. You have that to look forward to. I'm going to get going on actually building out the preview. I'd like to try and wait as long as I can before I start doing prep work because you build everything out and then you find out that half the league has been released or moved on. And then you go, okay, I wasted five hours of my time on this. So we're going to be working on that over the next couple of days and then we're going to record it and hopefully we will get it out for, you know, Saturday. I'd say hopefully, but I mean, like, let's be real. I'm, it's going to be out next Saturday. So a week from today, if you're listening, day of release, the season will be about two and a half days old. So it'll be pretty much on point, hits every mark here. So it should be good to go. So you have that to look forward to for next week, as well as us announcing who made it into the Indie Ball Hall of Fame. Remember, we did that and the voting closed about two, three weeks ago. So we'll announce all of that and run through all of that on next week's show, which will be our Atlantic League preview and episode number 163 as well. So that said, we will go to the plugs and then we will get out of here. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can follow the show on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at IndieBallReport. You can also follow the show on the website, which is IndieBallReport.com. All the episodes, all the show notes, all the articles, everything is up and on there if you want to look through that you can also follow the show wherever you find podcasts i know you hear this on every podcast you listen to but we're going to do it too because apparently it works amazon music spotify uh google podcast apple podcast tune in stitcher all the typical ones any major podcatcher is going to have the show so be sure to listen and rate and review if you can and definitely subscribe because you don't want to miss the next six months of content, which is all going to be independent league baseball focused. And we're going to cover all four of the partner leagues this year. And there'll probably be occasional talk of the Maverick League and a couple of the smaller leagues like we did over this offseason. With that being said, do we have anything else left to add as we as we rapidly venture into indie ball after dark territory? Uh, the one thing I have left to add is uh, before the recording of this episode, I was at a Somerset Patriots game. And, uh, of course, the Somerset Patriots now currently the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. Uh, they were playing the Erie Seawolves, the Detroit Tigers AA affiliate. And I got to see uh, a guy that that was a big, uh, big story last year. Uh, and that, of course, was uh, Quincy. Is it Neaport or Nyport? I, you know? I want to say it's Neaporte. 
I want to say there's like yeah, Porte. Yeah, I believe so. I believe there's that little bit on the end. Uh, okay, so anyway, so Quincy Niaporte uh, in Schaumburg last year had an awesome year. As, Frontier League as, MVP. Of course, many that Frontier League MVP, exactly. Uh, so he had an incredible year. I mean, hitting three forty three with 17 bombs and uh, just an inc- uh, incredible season at the plate for, for Schaumburg a season ago. Uh, so got to see him play uh, and uh, against Somerset. And in the ninth inning, I'll just say he absolutely uncorked one uh, that probably just landed. Uh, so he hit it to Pluto. It was crushed, and it was really cool to see. Uh, I know he's, you know, I know he's he's 27 years old, and you know, and and of course in Double A, so definitely on the older side in Double A, but still really cool to see guys uh, who did well in uh, in indie ball and specifically in the Frontier League, uh, doing really well, uh, doing well in Double A to start out this season. Absolutely, I mean, you love to see guys that were once in the unaffiliated system do well in the affiliate system and you sent me a video of that home run and man you did crack the hell out of that thing it was one hell of a moonshot i will say it, it was a very very it nice was run there yeah it, it really was, it was, it was it was a great shot uh only thing i have left to add for the week is that we will have USFL football this weekend. Yes, Spring League football. Uh, when we started the show, the AAF existed. Then came the XFL. We've outlived two of these uh, spring football leagues. Will we outlive the third one? Who knows? Third time could be the charm. But this one revamped the USFL, brought back all the old names. They're playing all out of Birmingham, Alabama. And the premier matchup that takes place today, if you're listening today, this comes out at 7.30. It will be the Birmingham Stallions playing host to the New Jersey Generals. Obviously, being located in New Jersey, going to be pulling for the Jennies. Hopefully, they can win. I don't really know if this league's going to last. I hope it does. But, man, uh, I'm just kind of excited. It's something to watch, and I'm not going to complain about more sports being on. Uh, So, yeah, if you want to watch it, it's going to be on both Fox and NBC. Yes, the the main channels, if you will. So the same ones you'd watch uh, NFL football on, they're going to be on those ones. Uh, It's the only time it's going to be simulcast like that. And uh, if you want to know more about the USFL, look it up. It's going to be interesting, and I'm sure they're going to explain it on the broadcast as well. I believe Kurt Menefeet, if you're familiar with the Fox NFL Sunday crew, uh, he's going to be on the call. I want to say Joe Klatt's going to be there, and I believe he's big into the college football. I think he normally gets the Fox football calls, so he calls a lot of Big uh, 12 football, if I'm not mistaken, and Big 10. So, hey, got a good team. It's going to be interesting to watch. And again, who's going to complain about more football? It's it's fun to watch. So, USFL football. Yeah, that's what I got to add. Yeah, uh, certainly will not be complaining about more football, so definitely will have to check that out. And maybe this one lasts more than two months. Hopefully. Hopefully it will. So, with that said, I don't think we have much else left to add. And that means, until next time, don't forget to play ball.